first scripture reading is Psalm chapter 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to, to you shall vows be performed. O you who answer prayer, to you all flesh shall come. When deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive our transgressions. Happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your home, your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. By your strength, you establish the mountains. You are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the papers. Those who live at Earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout for joy. You visit the earth and the water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with the grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its photos abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the ear with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. You crown the ear with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pastures of the wilderness flow, overflow the hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with the flocks. The valleys deck themselves with the grain. They shout and sing together for joy. The word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Luke, the 18th chapter, verses 9 to 17. Let's listen again for a word from God. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. 
people were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is such as these, for it is to such as these, that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. The word of the Lord. That was perfect timing. <laughs> I just wanted this uh, point of personal privilege. Just we have some pretty uh, high-powered seminary education in the sanctuary. Millie Turtle, who just went out with the kids, Princeton Theological Seminary. We've got New York Theological Seminary over there, Yale Divinity School right here. Ed, remind me where you went to seminary? <laughs> Princeton, two Princetons and a union here, so a lot of student loans in the room. Uh, I just want to point out and uh, see how grateful I am to be sharing ministry in this worship it's with all of you. Um, let's pray together. May the meditations of our hearts together this morning upon this, your word to us, your gift of yourself to us, O God, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this parable is one of those refreshingly simple parables. There aren't many, really. Um, we got a Pharisee. Jesus tells us about a Pharisee. Read respectable, religious, moral, virtuous, probably a very good student, faithful, prayerful, all those good things. And we've got a tax collector. Read villain, traitor, selfish, avaricious, immoral, unscrupulous. Think IRS. I had a member of my church who worked for the IRS and who sometimes spoke to me after one of these sermons and said, you know, we're not that bad. It's my job. This today is another in a series of vignettes that occur only in Luke. Uh, Luke sort of sticks between the corpus of the ministry of Jesus in Galilee that he and Matthew take from Mark's gospel, the earliest gospel, and then Luke has these teachings kind of run up right before the moment that Jesus enters into Jerusalem and begins that final week where he faces abandonment, betrayal, suffering, and death. And here by telling yet another parable, just like last week's parable of the persistent widow who kept at it, even though that unjust judge who didn't fear God or respect other people kept dismissing her case and never giving her justice, she kept at it, and finally he gave in. Here again, in this little parable and a little vignette about coming to God as children, Jesus tells us, his followers, what it's going to take to go with him where he's going, to be in relationship with him. And again, this week, the emphasis is on prayer. Last week, as I said, the promise of persistent prayer. This week, the perils of presumptuous prayer. 
I adore alliteration. Today, the perils of presumptuous praying. The bottom line here is that what Jesus wants and expects and needs from us goes against our intuition. The cross, by the way, is very counterintuitive, so the whole Christian enterprise. You want to live, die. You want to have stuff, give everything away. You want to be filled, empty yourself. Here, the message is that we don't have to figure out everything and get it all right and be all perfect and moral and virtuous in order for God to love us. We don't have to fix all our issues first, which unfortunately is the message churches and parents and culture have been giving a lot of us our whole lives. No, we just have to be ourselves. And it's the relationship with God that God gives in sovereign grace freely that helps us to fix our issues, whatever they might be, to fill our emptiness, to bring healing. But it's not our own effort that does it. It's hard for us to accept that, that truth. Jesus, as Graham said in Graham's beautiful assurance this morning, simply as God's self-offering expression to us in our lives simply wants you and me just as we are, without one plea, as we are about to sing. Jesus wants us with all of our faults and our feelings and our remorse, our gifts and our foibles, just wants us, the real us. And this is the truth that Jesus tells us before he launches himself into oblivion putting himself completely at the mercy of God. Because everybody else is going to abandon him. He will have nothing but God's love to count on. Absolutely nothing. And he's saying that we are supposed to follow him and decide that it's better to be honest and authentic instead of trying to hide our shortcomings. And this is a lesson we all have learned in our lives. I would presume you've learned it too. I just keep forgetting it. My memory's going. I don't know. I, I keep having to relearn this lesson that it's better to be honest and authentic than to try to put my best face on all the time. There's a story about a carpet layer who uh, had just finished installing a carpet for a young couple who had moved out from New York City into their dream home in let's say Montclair. When the carpet layer had finished, he decided to go outside, step out onto the porch for a smoke, but he couldn't find his cigarettes. Checked his pockets, he went out to the truck and took a look, couldn't find them. But then as he looked back over his work, he noticed that in the middle of the living room where the carpet was, there was kind of a lump, a bump. And he thought, oh, my cigarettes. Then he said to himself, but you know, that bump really isn't that problematic. It's not that noticeable. There's no sense in redoing my work, pulling up that entire floor of carpet just to get a pack of smokes. So he took out his mallet and he hammered that thing down. Boom! A few minutes later, as he was just putting everything in his bag, getting ready to go, the woman of the house came in and said, here, and she handed him his cigarettes. I found them in the hallway, she said. Now if I could just find my pet parakeet. It was an honest mistake, <laughs> and the carpet layer didn't know he was doing any harm when he smashed that bump down in the middle of the, and maybe he thought it was just a squeak. Well, who knows? 
But the point of this fictitious story, no animals were harmed in the telling of this story. <laughs> yeah, happy Halloween. That fooling other people is really just fooling ourselves, isn't it? And we tend to hurt others, too, when we do that. I would like to say that I have, as a pastor, as a religious leader, have not done this, but I have. Fooling myself has resulted in hurting other people, and I have had to relearn and relearn and relearn this message in this text today that it is better just to be authentic and to hope and pray that I'll be accepted and loved just for that reason. Now, self-affirmation is good. This is a text today about humility and humbleness and all that thing, but humility is sort of out of fashion these days, I've found, and I understand why. It is probably culturally a corrective. Historically, there are lots of people, especially marginalized people, who have been told that they are of no value, have been beaten down, reminded again and again that they didn't measure up to certain societal standards which of course no one measures up to, but some of us just completely out of the, by the luck of the draw, if you, if you will, sort of more naturally measure up to whatever the society's standards are. And we've defined certain characteristics and certain people as winners and as losers. And it's important that we affirm and celebrate a different standard of what constitutes value in a human being. I get that. It's important to affirm each and every human being's value as a child of God. But, and I think this is a big but here, when I think of this 2,000-year-old story that Jesus is telling here today, I imagine this Pharisee guy is one of those people in the weight room who's always looking in the mirror, you know? You know, big arms, skinny legs, that person, or always taking selfies with that duck face thing. <laughs> Sarah and I, for our 20th anniversary, went off to Montauk. I'd never seen it. It's amazing. It was more than I dreamed of. I'd always wanted to go there. It's a long way out there. And we were sitting uh, by the pool next to the beach, it was quite beautiful, and there was a woman who sat there and for a full hour just took selfies and then left. She never looked at the beach, never looked at the pool, never looked at anybody else. And uh, very excellent duck faces were happening. But it was a little bit, it just reminds me of this Pharisee, right? It's about me. Just last night, with some dear friends, we took a selfie. And I found myself, when they showed the selfie in the phone, wondering if I looked, as my mother used to say, jowly. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. I tend to have more than one chin at times. And often when I have someone take a picture of me, I'll say, to be funny and hilarious, just give me one chin, take it out and post. And my mom would say, you are a little jowly at times, thank you. This, we all have this sort of desperate insecurity. Will I ever look good enough? I'm all, if I have a good photo, and last night it was pretty good, actually, when I looked at it, you know, for me, face made for radio, it was okay. But then what about the next one? Or the next task or sermon or whatever? I'm, if I'm judged by how I look or perform, I'm never going to know. It'll never be enough. If your approval is what 
makes me value myself that I'm always going to be searching for, always going to never really know for sure. The Pharisee prays loudly and, I love this word, solipsistically, right, self-centeredly, self-absorbedly about how great he is. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. We do that. The worst sin in the world, the unforgivable thing, a, 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 a terrible thing we can do or say to someone, the thing that should never be forgiven is always just a little worse than the worst thing I've ever done. You ever notice that? I thank you, O oh God, that I'm not like other people. And then he goes along and the Pharisee here and itemizes all the things he does. He prays, he makes generous tax-deductible donations, he fasts. And I think valuing oneself is fine, as I've said. And more than fine, it's essential. But the question is, when we forget where our value comes from. It doesn't come from us. It's not an accomplishment on our resume or on Instagram. It is a gift. But it's a hard lesson to learn. There's the old joke about a psychiatrist who was seeing a new patient for the very first time, and the psychiatrist said, I really don't know a lot about your background, your issues, so maybe you could start from the beginning. And the very typical patient said, oh, okay. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. Because that's who I am, right? My father used to say to me more than once, the world does not revolve around you. Watch me, you know. The Pharisee in our story seems to think he's God's gift to God. And let's face it, to the rest of us as well. And according to conventional values, the values we often live by, he is. He is. He's a good guy. Really good. And when he prays like this today, he is telling the truth. That is not the issue. But all we, for all we know, that's the only reason he valued himself. And the problem with that kind of approach, as I've said, is it's a never-ending sort of cycle, a vicious circle of uncertainty. The famous actor Gregory Peck, who was an amazing actor but had an even better first name, was once standing in line with a friend waiting for a table at a crowded restaurant in Los Angeles, and they'd been waiting for some time, and all the diners seemed to be taking their time eating, and new tables weren't opening up very fast, and they weren't even close to the front of the line, and Peck's friend became impatient, and he said to Gregory Peck, why don't you just tell the maitre d' who you are? I can't believe they don't recognize you anyway. And Gregory Peck responded with great wisdom when he said, no, if you have to tell people who you are, you aren't. That's a lesson that the Pharisee today and all of us, most of us really, if we've never learned it, we've certainly forgotten it more than once. The tax collector, on the other hand, here this morning, doesn't have to tell God who he is. He knows who he is, and more importantly, he knows that God knows who he is. But it takes humility to be like this tax collector, and that's, of course, what Jesus is challenging us to consider this morning. As our quote from Fred Beekner at the top of our bulletin this morning says, seeing yourself as valuable is important as long as it's seeing yourself as, as no more or no less valuable than anybody else. That's really the important thing. The tax collector has nothing to recommend him. Nothing. He throws himself, so to speak, on the mercy of the court. When I graduated from college in 1985 from a you know, pretty good school with lots of student loans, 
I started working for a law firm in San Francisco, and I made $11,000 a year. I paid $480 a month for my fourth of an apartment on Haight and Fillmore in San Francisco. It was very expensive even then. I made $11,000 a year, and I had money. You know why? My expenses were pizza, beer, parking tickets. That was it. It would take about two hours, worse, worse than New York City, it would take about two hours. I had a little Volkswagen Rabbit that fit pretty well in parking spaces, but it took one to two hours after you got home to find a space, usually. So it was a battle, and you had to be creative, and not, you didn't win every time. I definitely learned to use my bumper, that's for sure, on the hills of San Francisco. But my roommate had way more tickets than I did. Joel Freed, who's now an attorney, he's even a judge, he goes to the traffic court and he said, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. Then he said, I've always wanted to say that. And they, they didn't give him anything off. He had to pay all the fines. <laughs> to throw yourself on the mercy of God, right, with nothing to recommend you, no matter what your face looks like or your accomplishments or your resume look like, that's the message. About 1,600 years ago, the theologian and philosopher St. Augustine Bishop of Hippo wrote to one of his students about what it takes to understand the truth of God, whatever, whatever that is. Augustine said it requires three qualities. The first quality is humility. The second quality is humility. And the third quality is humility. And that's the point where most of us walk away from this story. It's just hard to be humble. My principal in high school taught us, of my class, class of 81, this song. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I have a hard time looking in the mirror. I get so beautiful each day. Forget how the rest of it goes, but that's the point. It's been a long time. The point where we retreat into our comfortable, self-satisfied lives, and when we miss out on the joy of confession and repentance is when we deprive ourselves of the good news that we are loved just as we are, like this tax collector. But we've got to move all that other stuff out of the way, all the need to be so respectable and perfect and faultless. We try to protect our ego, our image, our self-sufficiency as much as possible. We talk like the older brother in that famous story in Luke from the prodigal son, about how good we have been, how well we have behaved, and we think that's why the Father, so to speak, in that story should welcome us, but that's not. Two men went up to the temple to pray in this text today. One exalted himself and left that day unchanged. The other humbled himself and left transformed, justified, fulfilled. And the question is, what did you expect when you came to worship today? To leave just as you arrived, good enough, or completely changed by the power and the love of God. Did you expect God to meet you here today? More importantly, did you expect God to change you? It's astounding how little we expect from God, especially religious people, unfortunately, because we have a lot to recommend us, and we can get focused on that. 
I'm good enough. I'm comfortable with myself, my current priorities and my agenda. Nothing in me really is that broken. Nothing in me needs to die so that I can live. Well, that's the problem. And that's what Jesus is reminding us of today. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my follower should come like a child, not like an accomplished adult. What's that anyway? The wonderful, amazing Dutch priest and author, the late Henri Nouwen, understood this. I think our struggle with self-righteousness and humility, how hard it is for us, how counterintuitive it is for us when he wrote this beautiful prayer. Dear God, I am so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please help me to gradually open my hands and to discover that I am not what I own. I am what you want to give me. Two men went up to the temple to pray. What made the difference? One man showed up with empty hands and asked God to do for him what he could not do for himself. And that's all we're asked to do as well. So keep coming like that persistent window and ask God to do for us what we cannot, if we're honest, do with our, for ourselves, but what God always is ready to do for us. And that's exactly what God did in this story and what God will do. Praise be to God.